If you've got your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to be in verses 13 through 23 uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 23. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte or convert. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by that oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and on everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Let us pray. Lord, your word is a lamp into our feet. It's a light into our path. So we pray by it this morning that you would convict us, that you would challenge us, that you would transform us from the inside out. Lord, a word like this is sometimes extremely hard to hear, but in your grace, it is so good that you put the mirror up to ourselves and we see ourselves clearly. And when we see ourselves clearly, we can see you more clearly. So we pray that you'd use this word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so there was a game that I played uh, relatively recently, and it's called The Chameleon. Uh, and it's this game where you pass out a card uh, to everyone in a circle, and everyone has the same card with one word on it. And basically the point of the game is you go around and you have to say a word that is similar to the word that's on your card. So, for example, if the word is bagel, everyone in the circle would have bagel on their card, and one person might go round, the next person might go breakfast, and on and on it goes. And you're like, okay, that doesn't sound so fun. The trick of the game is that one person in this circle gets a blank card. They have nothing on it. And they're still a part of the circle, which means they have to give an answer when it comes to them. And so the whole point of this game is now you're playing and you're trying to figure out who the chameleon is. Who was the person who didn't have anything on their card? And playing when it's your turn to be the chameleon, and no one knows that it's your turn to be the chameleon, obviously, but it is one of the most fun, but also the one of the most stressful things that you could ever go through. Because on the outside, it's almost like you're living two lives. On the outside, you have to be extremely calm and knowledgeable, and comfortable, while on the inside, you are panicking 
You are listening to all of the different answers. You're trying to get a clue of what this word might be so that you can seem knowledgeable. And you are just stressed out. Because living two lives is stressful. It's exhausting to portray yourself as one thing, but inside to be something totally different. And I think that's helpful because we come this morning uh, to our second week on our series of course correction. And we get to this idea of hypocrisy. See, hypocrisy is this idea of living two lives, of saying one thing and doing another, of beliefs and actions, they're not lining up together, or you're not practicing what you're preaching. And the reason this is so important is because when you sit down with people in the next generation, students, college students, young millennials, what you'll often hear in those conversations is that it's hypocrisy that has eroded their trust in the church. They'll say, well, we come in on Sundays and we hear a gospel of love and forgiveness and grace, and they hear about a savior that eats with sinners and heals the sick and the suffering. And then they watch Christians in the world, Christians in the church, and they say, well, the beliefs don't seem to line up with their actions. And they'll point to things like, well, how could we believe in a gospel of love, but also the church be a breeding ground for abuse? Or how could Christians be called to love their neighbor and then in the same vein when they watch political conversations, how could Christians be the ones who are speaking so cruelly of the ones with whom they disagree? And what they'll say is it looks like the church is almost living two different lives. One on Sunday before the word of God and one the rest of the week before cultural expectations. And so as we come to our text this morning in Matthew chapter 23, what we find is that this charge of hypocrisy is nothing new, but it's been going on since the days that Jesus walked the earth. And what I love about this passage is that Jesus is not just simply diagnosing the problem, but rather what he's beginning to do for the scribes and the Pharisees and for us today is he's beginning to orient us towards a correction. Because when we think about it, of all the damage that has ever been done by people who are hypocrites, by hypocrisy, the ones who are most hurt by hypocrisy is ourselves. Because we are the first ones to be deceived by hypocrisy, by our own hypocrisy. And that means that hypocrisy often isn't malicious, right? But it's drawn out of a heart of pride. Oftentimes, it's to regain control of a situation. It might be to earn approval from somebody that you desperately want to like you or affirm you, right? It might be out of guilt, where it's like, we just want to believe that we're okay when we know deep down we might not really be. And what is more exhausting than that? To have to live two different lives, to believe one thing and live another just because of what happens at church and what you believe at church might not be acceptable at work or school in your political tribe. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look very clearly at the issue of hypocrisy, and we're going to ask hard questions of ourselves. But in the midst of that, what I hope you don't miss is the invitation that Jesus gives, the invitation to gospel integrity. Because where hypocrisy and deception can leave us unsettled, can leave us exhausted, 
See, integrity gives us a sure foundation in the hope that we have that can weather any challenge or any storm. So the question this morning is, how might we confront the hypocrisy of our own hearts and turn from hypocrisy to gospel integrity? So that's what we want to look at. And we can develop gospel integrity in three ways. Developing humility, developing consistency, and developing weight. And so the first thing we see in this text is that we ought to develop humility. If you go to verse 13, uh, probably the first thing that Jesus says is the most direct. And he says, The Pharisees and scribes are hypocrites because they have shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And Jesus says, They haven't entered it, and they aren't allowing others to enter it. And if you continue the thought that Jesus is saying there, it doesn't quite make sense on the surface because in the next breath, Jesus is going to go talk about how zealous they are for evangelism, right? Verse 15, they'll travel all over. They'll travel across earth and sea just for one convert, right? They're going above and beyond to fulfill the call of God. And yet Jesus wants to expose this as hypocrisy. He says, in doing all of this, in doing this evangelism, you're actually not bringing life but you're bringing death. And the reason for this is if you read about the Pharisees and you get a sense of who these people were, the Pharisees were people who were obsessed with outward external religion. They were proud, they were pompous, and they wanted to show you just how well they kept the commandments of God. And they would communicate both in word and in deed that to be acceptable to God, to be approved of by God, to be satisfactory, you needed to be perfect. You needed to have every I dotted and every T crossed. It needed to be perfection and nothing less. And that wasn't just their internal conviction, but that's what they taught, right? So when they're evangelizing new people, they're not freeing you from sin's burden. Rather, they're trying to burden you with their law. They're saying, hey, look at your sin. Look at how bad you are. But if you live like us, if you live perfectly, before the law of God. That is the way that God will accept you. It's the way God will celebrate you. And we know as Christians on this side of the cross that the Pharisees misunderstood Jesus's whole message. And rather than admit they were wrong, because Jesus had a bunch of run-ins with the Pharisees, rather than admit they were wrong, receive Jesus, sit at his feet, what did they do? Well, they doubled down on their works. And they assumed that if they doubled down on their works, that eventually it would lead to good results, right? So what did the Pharisees do? They kept teaching. They kept leading. Even though the foundation had been called out, even though it was flawed, and even though they were rebuked by Jesus himself, right? Pride led them to be blind to the truth that was right in front of them. And rather than in humility admit they were wrong, what did they do? They kept pointing time and time again to their experience and hoping that their works would validate them. And it comes to Matthew 23, and what does Jesus say? Well, Pharisee, you haven't entered the kingdom of God. And because you haven't entered the kingdom of God, the people that you're teaching haven't entered as well. See, hypocrisy not only misleads others, but it misleads us. See, I don't think the Pharisees were actually intentionally trying to deceive anyone. See, the Pharisees knew what they thought to be true, and they were acting 
on what they thought to be true, but the issue here was they were, they were too prideful to receive correction. And instead of receiving the correction, they just doubled down on what they already believed because they believed by grinding and striving that their actions would ultimately validate them. But as Jesus came and said, yes, actions do flow from the heart, but actions do not validate your heart. And so as Jesus pronounces this, you know, woe over the Pharisees, not a woe of uh, condemnation, eternal condemnation, but a reminder of the sorrowful nature of things, right? Jesus is not condemning good works. Jesus isn't condemning evangelism, but rather, this is an invitation to humility. This is an invitation to humility. It's an invitation to the Pharisees and the scribes and us who are reading to be with Jesus. Because the reality is, is if we're on mission, if we're the church, if we're called to represent Christ to the world, then the first thing we need to think about is we need to be with Jesus. We need to come in humility. We need to expose our hearts to God, and we need to feel and understand and receive his grace and mercy and forgiveness for us. Because as the Pharisees were finding out, you can't lead someone to a place you yourself have never been. See, the Pharisees were too prideful to admit that they didn't know the way. And if we aren't careful, some of us can fall into the same trap. See, how can we ever hope to lead? How can we ever hope to minister if we aren't humble enough ourselves to be led? Led by the word of God, led by the spirit. And so humility is the first way that we develop gospel integrity because it prepares us to be with Jesus, right? Humility is the willingness to be led, to be corrected, to not lead blindly like we know it all. It's to open ourselves up to the grace and the truth of the gospel message. And so I pray this morning that we would have the humility to ask the hard question. Because in grace, because of grace, Jesus has invited us to be with him. But we do have to humble ourselves to receive it. So that's number one. Uh, number two is to develop consistency. Develop consistency. And uh, the next section of this text is a little technical, so let's kind of walk through it together. And in essence, what's happening here is Jesus is critiquing the types of oaths that the Pharisees are willing to discard versus the oaths that the Pharisees are saying, these are binding oaths. And Jesus is going to give two examples. And he says in the first one that the Pharisees are willing to say, well, if you swear on the temple, it's not a binding oath. But if you go swear on the gold in the temple... Now that is a binding oath. And then the second one, if you swear on the altar, mm, not a binding oath. But if you swear on what's on the altar, that is a binding oath. And as you read this, you see the issue, don't you? Right? What makes gold more in temple? What makes gold more important than the temple that it's in? Right? What makes what's on the altar better than what? or better than the altar itself, right? And even bigger than all that, aren't all of these things used in the worship of God? And so isn't it God who gets to decide what's important and what's not? And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees is showing itself in the fact that they aren't consistent, right? They're willing to overlook certain things, 
but they're also going to hold very staunchly to other things, and it doesn't seem to have any sort of rhyme or reason why. I want you to put yourself in the feet of a follower for a second of that kind of teaching, right? One that's arbitrarily emphasizing one thing over another. Doesn't that become exhausting? Right? It's unsettling because at no point do you ever feel like the ground underneath your feet is steady, right? You're constantly looking for something consistent, constantly looking for something to orient your life around. And every time you listen to these Pharisees teach what's happening, it just seems to change. It just seems to move from idea to idea. And at some point, right, you're just going to become exhausted. You're just going to give up. And so as Christians, we ought to long for consistency in our doctrine and practice. Why? Because we reflect a God who does not change. We reflect a God who does not change. And yet, in the midst of the cultural turmoil that we're experiencing, where we want Christianity to remain relevant in a culture which very much doesn't want us to, right? What's the temptation? The temptation is that we constantly emphasize certain things and we squelch others, right, in order to impress, in order to earn credibility, right? Holiness has kind of somewhat become a moving target, and Christianity is kind of emphasizing certain things and squelching others in order to make sure that we hit the target. And yet when we come to Jesus, when he's the foundation of our identity, when we trust in him, right, there's consistency because the gospel itself is based on consistency, right? Even when you were faithless, even when your heart moved from idol to idol to idol, God's love for you didn't change. God didn't change his mind about you. God was faithful. God was steadfast. His word is sure and eternal, right? What he says comes to pass. The gospel doesn't change no matter the sin, no matter the side of the debate you're on, right? Jesus invites us all to come by faith and surrender to him. And so Christians ought to be steadfast and consistent. Why? Because we know that our eternity is sure. And what does this mean? Well, it means that there are going to be certain times when following Jesus is going to be popular. It's going to align with the social and the political narratives of the day. And there are going to be other times when following Jesus means that it's not, that we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be looked down upon for those beliefs. But in either case, it doesn't make the truth any less true. So are we willing to be consistent to the word that's been revealed to us? Because we know that the God who's behind the word is steadfast and sure. So developing humility, developing consistency, and then finally developing weight. And the last part of this passage deals with uh, Jesus's rebuke of their tithe. And he notes that the Pharisees have tithed dill, mint, and cumin, but they've neglected the weightier matters, such as justice and mercy and faithfulness. And if you go back and you look at what mint, dill, and cumin were, these are very, very, very small plants in a garden. And when you start talking about a tithe, when we kind of talk about a tithe today, we'll talk about 10% of your earnings for the week. So we're talking only currency. But back then, your tithe was of everything. So your crops that you grew in order to make a financial living, these were also included in your tithe. So I want you to get the picture. The Pharisees are keeping this tithing law so well that they are going down to the smallest, most intricate plant in their garden to make sure that they are giving their full 
10%. But they're neglecting the whole reason for the law in the first place, right? When Jesus is asked, what's the summary of the law? He says two things, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So the Pharisees are very bent on keeping this tithing law, but they're neglecting the weightier matters of the law. And so the final way that we think about developing gospel integrity is this. We develop weight. What do we prioritize, and why do we prioritize it? Because when we think about hypocrisy in the church, when we think about the charges that the next generation brings to us, oftentimes what they see that we don't is that we're settling for something less. We're settling for something less than what's actually important, right? The things that we're willing to get in arguments over, the hills that we're willing to die on are oftentimes less than the fullness of what God has for us. I love this quote. Uh, I've probably read it up here before, but C.S. Lewis has this really famous quote in The Weight of Glory, and I think it describes this extremely well, and it says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So the things we stake our lives on, the things that we build our reputations on, the desires of our hearts are not too strong, but they're too weak. And so if we're going to think about hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of my heart, the hypocrisy of your heart, the hypocrisy of the church, the, it begins by challenging our own desires. Are our desires too weak? See, the reason that the Pharisees neglected the weightier things of the law, like love and faithfulness and mercy, is because what they wanted was easily obtainable by keeping just a few of the smaller laws, right? Their desires narrowed their vision for what was truly worth living and dying for. So the question to us this morning is, are we captivated by those smaller things? Or are we captivated by something more glorious? By the gospel of Christ. By love and justice and mercy and faithfulness. Because when we become captivated by those things, See, we communicate a more faithful witness because all of a sudden it aligns us together. We become aligned with ourselves. As I close, um, one of the books that had a profound impact on me uh, growing up was Harper Lee's uh, classic, To Kill a Mockingbird. And if you've never read this book before, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird takes place in a racially charged town of Maycomb, Alabama. Uh, and it's the story of a lawyer named Atticus Finch. Uh, and over the course of this story, Atticus is going to step in and he's going to defend a black man who's been falsely accused of a pretty heinous crime against a white woman. Uh, and because he does this, because he steps in to defend this man, he's going to be uh, persecuted by the town as they try to get him to throw this trial. And Atticus is going to refuse a couple different times because for him, his role as a lawyer is to do what? It's to honor the justice system. And integrity prohibits him from not defending an innocent man. And what I love about this book, maybe more than anything else, is that when you read it, the narrator of the story is not a third-person omniscient narrator, and it's not Atticus who tells the story, but it's Atticus's daughter that tells the story. And 
it's told from a child's point of view. And so the actions and the integrity of Atticus, the main character, are told through the eyes of the next generation, who herself is trying to come to terms with the world that she's living in. And what does she see? Well, she sees that his actions and his unwavering integrity in the midst of social pressures, and it leaves her resolve to live like he did. And so as we navigate this cultural moment, where the eyes of the next generation are on us, and believe me, they are on us, what will be the story that they tell? Will it be one where we were flimsy, prideful, trifling over vain arguments? Or will they tell a story of those who were humble, who were consistent despite cultural pressures, and who maybe more than anything were captivated by God's love for them? So I pray this morning that we would hear Jesus' correction, that we wouldn't be like the hypocrites, oscillating and exhausting ourselves, but rather that we would embrace his invitation to gospel integrity and develop the kind of life that in word and in deed, in belief and in action, brings honor and glory to our king. Let's pray. God, this is a tough word to hear sometimes. It's a challenging word to hear, but you are full of grace and you love us. You are a good, good father. And so we pray this morning that you would open up our hearts, that we would humble ourselves and that we would know you because we can't go and take people to a place we've never been ourselves. So we pray that you would develop in us gospel integrity with our beliefs and our actions line up so that the next generation who are watching would tell the story of your kingdom. In Jesus' name.